it's paramount to involve your partner into your business decisions, even though they may not be in the business. Because in a way, yeah. they are, because they are your mirror for everything that you do in your private life. You need to make sure they're on board. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. I'm personally very excited about this episode. You might even hear a little nervousness in the recording because I have a very special guest for you guys today. We got Arvid Karl on the show. I know, I can't believe it either, <laughs> trust me. Um, but apart from all the excitement, I want one second of attention from you guys before you start listening to the episode. We're talking specifically about mental health today. If you're struggling right now, if that is a topic that might be hurtful to you, maybe come back another time for this episode. Please take care of yourself. You'll find other resources in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. And I have a very, very special guest today. When we started thinking about this podcast, I talked to my girlfriend and said, you know what would be an amazing, amazing target or an amazing goal to have is Arvid Karl on the podcast. <laughs> and I hope, I hope we will get that before the 100th episode. That was the, that was the goal. And now we're in episode nine and Arvid Karl sits here and looks at me and is our ninth guest. Welcome, yeah. Arvid. A very, very happy welcome from me. Ah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, see, you, you did it under 10 even. It yeah. didn't even take 100. <laughs> it was 10. I'm really happy to be here and talk to you. We've been chatting so much on Twitter already. It was uh, a very, very easy decision to come on your show. Thank you so much. You are a very big figure in the indie hacking space. So most of our listeners will know who you are. But for the few who, are, who aren't aware, who are you and how did you start your journey into indie hacking? Well, I, I used to be a developer for, for the longest time. And I worked as a you know software engineer for many different kinds of companies, VC funded, traditional German companies <laughs> building software, you know, like Mittelstand is what they call it, right? Like mm -hmm. these just, you know, small, smallish, medium sized businesses, lots of software engineering in my past. At some point, I decided that that was not for me anymore. I started just doing side projects with friends, uh, founded a lot of companies that failed horribly. In the past, which was a lot of lot of fun, a lot of learnings, I, I guess more more learnings than fun. But then I I built a couple ones that actually did make it, and I I built and sold one called Feedback Panda back in 2017. We sold it in 2019 when it had like fifty five thousand dollars in a monthly recurring revenue, which was significant and still is crazy to think about. But yeah, we sold it for a couple million. That's all I can say. Really, it's all I'm legally allowed to say. Uh, a life changing amount of money is the the phrase. And after that, I started writing a lot. So I'm I'm still in the indie hacker sphere in, in a sense that I'm a, an educator now. I still run a software service business because as a writer, I needed a tool and I built a tool and now that's a SaaS as well. But yeah, my, my journey starts pretty much with programming as a kid. And then I got into indie hacking back in, it must have been 2013, 2014, when I left a, a job, a remote job in San Francisco for this VC funded mm -hmm. business back in the day. And I, I just started a, a new life back in Germany and Berlin of all places, met a couple people, built businesses with them. And that was kind of indie-ish hacking. You know, Germany <laughs> is a is a weird place to to do indie hacking in because you you kind of don't have any funding options for indie hackers there. Like 
indie doesn't necessarily mean completely unfunded. It just means not kind of funded in a VC kind of way. So yeah, we, we found different ways to use European money, European Union money to jumpstart <laughs> a couple of businesses. And we're still not beholden to anybody. But the true indie hacking thing that I did was Feed That Panda pretty much. And that was a, a blazing success back in 2019. That put me on the map. I got to speak at a couple of conferences. I had 400 Twitter followers at that point. And I just shared all the learnings from that business ever since. And now here I am, 120 some thousand followers later. It's bizarre. <laughs> I still cannot believe it. It's crazy. And because you have done so much in the indie hacking space, and of course, we wouldn't like to do like a 10 hour podcast with you, of course. <laughs> no <had> problem. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a second episode somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's um, a better idea. <laughs> but for this episode, we concentrated on the mental health and yes. st stress management and surviving the indie hacker lifestyle part oh, of yeah. the business, <laughs> which is like a whole thing. And you talk a lot about that on your podcast, mm -hmm. on the videos you do uh, outside of the podcast. And would you like to, like, we know that, that that's very different if you're, if you're self-employed versus being in a company. Mm -hmm. What was your mental health journey like before you started the whole indie hacking thing? Yeah, on a professional level, I was I had a couple ups and downs. Let's just say that, right? It, um, I went to university. I didn't didn't get degrees because I I fell into a, a world of Warcraft addiction for the longest time. Oh, that was, in in a way, that's also a mental health challenge. It opened up a lot of possibilities. Yeah. I met a lot of interesting people. I learned how to speak English fluently through playing World of Warcraft for years, like almost semi competitively, which is another layer of stress on top of playing a game. But <laughs> you know, like it, it was always an up and up and down in that regard. I had jobs and at agencies back in the day when I was still studying for that stuff, and that was pretty stressful. But it was managed. It was just money coming in, more money than I ever made because I was building like typo three PHP extensions in the day. That was like 2003, mm. 2004, pretty early in, in my engineering career. And it was great, but I had this pretty sizable addiction to a video game, which isolated me socially in a way to the people around me and my family as well. But it also included me socially in the virtual community. So that was my kind of first touch point with the power of a virtualized social community, which is other addicts of World of Warcraft, pretty much. <laughs> and from there, I just kept trying to find jobs. And at one point through Twitter, back in 2011 or 2012, found that San Francisco, San Francisco job, which was bizarre to me that I could get a job through Twitter. But yeah, they, they flew me in. They looked at me. We had a couple couple days with each other. I flew back. I worked remotely. It was really cool to, to work for such a company. But it was also one of these places where you know you work for six days a week. U.S. Mm -hmm. company just recently Series A funded, finding people all over the world to work for them. Pretty intense hours, pretty intense workload because you needed to get stuff done to be scalable and all that. Led to my first experience with burnout that that time, which also made me quit that job eventually and kind of retract for a couple months. I didn't do anything. I just slept for like four months straight which tells you a lot. Like if a person mm -hmm. cannot do anything but eat and sleep for like a quarter of a year, there's something wrong, right? So that was that experience. And after that, I went to Berlin, built a couple of businesses that failed. That had several ups and downs, obviously. Then I found a real job, you know, like a, a, a <laughs> full-time software engineering uh, situation, which for many years was pretty like smooth sailing for me. Like it was really a, a job that was a nine to five. I had all the time in the world to spend with with family and with the people that I cared about. And then I started building side projects with 
which added another stress layer on top of that. So that kind of increased it, which also made me quit the job eventually when, when Feedback Panda was successful enough that it was kind of, hey, I'm making more money on my side project, but I spend more time on my real job. Like, how, mm. how does that work? Right? The pressure of that. So, uh, and then obviously indie hacking itself, like building this business was extremely stressful, probably one of the most stressful times of my career, like being the only technical person in a startup that supported 5,000 customers and, and being almost the only person to talk to them, like one of two people, that was bizarre. So there was uh, an extremely high level of anxiety and stress in that regard and led to a second episode of burnout just around the time when we were selling the business, fortunately. And ever since then, I've been very, very conscious both of my own mental health and the topic of mental health in the public discussion, which fortunately I get to talk a lot, a lot about at this point, being very prominently placed in the community. So whenever I feel like it, I talk about imposter syndrome. I talk about burnout. <laughs> I talk about all these things that all of us feel all the time. And finally, I get to actually push people to confront this as a problem. So I'm really, I feel fortunate that you have me on your show today to talk about this. And not just about random indie hacker stuff, which is also mm -hmm. nice, but this topic that gets so severely under-discussed. So my, my journey, as you can tell, is a pretty you know wild ride. I think that was the, the subtitle of my blog when I started it in 2019. That was just after we sold the business and I figured out what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to build a life that is less stressful? It was the Bootstrap Founder. That was the name of the blog. And mm -hmm. I think the subtitle in my mind was the emotional journey or the emotional roller coaster ride of a bootstrapped founder. That was what I wanted the whole blog to be about, like the ups and downs, the roller coaster that it is to be an indie hacker. It never really made it in the subtitle, but that was my mental model for what the blog was about. And I think half of the articles that I wrote in the first couple months were all mental health topics. If you go through the list, you will see a lot of them are touching stress and anxiety and burnout. Because that was what my life was like at that point. You can kind mm -hmm. of see it became less in the middle. And now that I talk about it more, it becomes more again. It's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a journey. How about you? Like, what's your journey there? <laughs> yeah, usually I don't talk as much on the podcast. But this <laughs> is a topic where I will like, do a, sh a short, content, uh, short content part myself. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had very close encounters with burnout. I can remember parts of my job where... I was also just eating and sleeping pretty much. So my journey is a little different from yours because I haven't really gone into indie hacking full-time yet. I started as a software developer. I did my bachelor's and master's. I usually, but I'd also, I, I already started kind of in a, in a more stressful way than some people because I did something which you might be familiar with in, from the German college scene, I guess, that you can do full-time studying while also working for a company in germany it's called dual studium um, uh, not sure if that's something that, that exists in canada or us but it pr basically means that you work full-time and also have like big blocks of university time where you don't work but you also go to study there so you don't really have any holidays other than the 30 days or in my case 27 i think for the company that i work with that you also had to manage to get somewhere because you were either studying or working yeah and I thought, and then for, for my bachelor's, that was still, you either work or you study and at, and at any given day. But then in my master's, I also thought that that wasn't hard enough. And I went <laughs> and did full-time employment while oh also full-time studying. That was insane. Yeah. And it also started my, my anxiety, panic disorder journey, which I think, yeah, 
started in my master's and then when I was finished with my with my studies, I actually changed and thought, okay, now I don't have as much stress anymore. Let's go and work for a startup instead. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I, I went down that path like straight straight down and I worked for for an agency startup so we didn't develop a product it wasn't really an, an indie hacking or VC funding kind of thing it was just an, a very very small agency which means you don't get equity you don't get high pay because it's still an agency which at least in Germany always underpays product companies yeah, sure. and then yeah so we went and worked I went and worked there for one and a half years I think there experienced the, the actual burnout and the, the development of a panic disorder, which then had to be treated three years with I, with medication and therapy because before I kind of went back to normal, I guess. And uh, yeah, since that time, I then switched to a bigger UX design agency, which I've been for three years and then quit and became a freelancer. Um, but that time, I'm still very thankful for that agency because they kind of, they taught me a lot, one. And the other thing was that there was like a moment of calmness after so many anxiety-ridden years. So that was a point where it actually went better. And then came the freelancer thing, where I now work contracts four or five days a week. I'm trying to do four, not mm. always possible, but I'm trying. German companies don't really like four-day work weeks, <laughs> yeah. and not even for freelancers. But yeah, we're trying to get there. I'm I'm now getting into things like mindfulness, meditation, stuff like that, and trying to on the other hand, talk a lot about anxiety issues, panic and panic disorders, which are far more common than people think. Oh. And yeah, mental health, like we do right now. That's mm -hmm. that's pretty much my journey. I'm also, I'm also trying to include this more in the content that I'm pushing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this to, to the d level of detail that you've been sharing. Because most people, when they talk about mental health, hey, yeah, I have challenges, but I'm I, I'm I'm dealing with yeah, it, yeah. right? <laughs> but the, the the specifics of that is, is always interesting to hear. <laughs> the the way you described your your educational journey, that sounds like playing games on hard mode. Like it feels yeah, like it wasn't, you you wasn't chose the, the highest difficulty. But that also is an interesting thing. I I, I don't want to derail yeah, this too much, but I but I feel. There is a there is a cultural pressure on on people in 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 my family in particular, but maybe also other Germans that might just be like mm -hmm. a German thing too, right? You have to get your degree. You have to find a good place to work. I mean, that exists all over the world, but in a in a way, it was a it was a social class thing for me. Like if I don't mm -hmm. get a university degree, I kind of fall out of the class that my family has come to expect. So you kind of, you want to do the thing you like, which is coding, which for me at least, right? It was software engineering, software development. I love this stuff. But why did I even need to go to university? Why did I need <laughs> to put that pressure on me? Because it, it was during that time, I, I, I dropped out multiple times because it was just too much. I, I did not like the, the kind of academic pressure I retreated into world of warcraft right that addiction for me yep. that didn't just come because it was the best game ever made which it is but you know <laughs> it's it was a it was a, a way to escape it was escapism now, now in, in retrospect i realized this but back in the day it was a way for me to deal with the pressures that were put on me by my family by the society that i grew up in and it's it's unfortunate to think that it took me until my mid-30s to realize what happened in my early 20s <laughs> it's like there's a decade and a half in between, right? But it, it, yeah. I didn't realize at the time 
why I behaved like this. I also have a couple of like non-work specific mental health issues in the past. Might just mention that I had a, a parent die very early in my adult life. Like I was like 17, 18 around that time, which is a horrible time to, to yeah, for lose sure. a parent, right? Yeah. And that impacted me as well. It kind of ha- had me grow up faster than I should have, feels like, right? It's a moment where you, as a, as a young person, as, as an adolescent, you're still trying to figure stuff out. And now all of a sudden, you don't have this kind of nexus person in your life anymore. And from there, dealing with emotional upheaval always was deflective for me. I always like tried to find activities to, to just deal with it, which gaming was at the time. Right? I never got into substance abuse, fortunately, because I had a, in, in school one experience with weed that was enough for me. I never wanted it again. So I, I never went down that particular road. But it's, it's easy to fall into this or alcoholism or whatever it is. Right, All of yeah. these are mental health issues in a way. So having this personal, very early life, I guess, or early adult life experience, that set the tone for how I dealt with other things. And it took me a decade and a half to understand how I coped. Because for some reason, I didn't have any psychological help at the time. <laughs> Like, other than my family, but nobody thought I would ever need to see a psychologist or a therapist about this, right? which, which is an, an important thing to mention right here, right now. Therapy is a way. Therapy is yeah. an important way out of like, anything. And it's even if you're not in something, therapy is a way for you not to get into it. So it's generally a good idea to not dismiss therapy as a means to deal with your, your challenges in life, particularly because it's still kind of there's a taboo about therapy. Back back in Germany, when we lived there, we moved to Canada. I live in Ontario in Canada, close to Toronto. That's mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. Like three years ago, two years ago, you know, 20, what is it, 2023? We moved in 2021, <laughs> two years ago. Before that, I lived in Berlin for most of my life. And when we went to get insurance, we talked to them about therapy. Uh, if insurance, would, uh, health insurance would cover therapy. And they were like, mm-hmm. no. Like, that was the reaction. The reaction of my health insurance company, which was a private health insurance company for, for that matter, right? In Germany, that means, you, you know, you have the dual system. You have like uh, the, the one that the government provides and you have private. Private is more expensive, covers more things. But even the private health insurance did not want to cover therapy because they felt like that was a pre-existing condition or something like that. It was really, really bad. I was like, if there's still a taboo, if there's still a stigma around even using therapy to better yourself, to be a more pro- productive worker or to live a healthier life. Wow. That is a, still a problem, apparently. So yeah. yeah. And th- with insurance as well, you can get something that is in, in Germany, you couldn't get an insurance if you are not able to work the job that you are supposed to work. Yeah. So the one that you actually learned and studied for, yes. um, there is an insurance for that, where which will pay you monthly if you can't do that anymore. Yeah. For example, if an, if an, order worker who actually works on machines loses its hands mm-hmm. he can't work that job in any capacity anymore so he gets a monthly payment for that forever yes. and one of the biggest issues with this type of, of insurance is that if you have ever seen a therapist in your life they will never cover in a therapy anymore so not even cover therapy they won't pay you yeah. for a psychological issue later in your life so for example I had some I had a therapy session before mm-hmm. for something and then 10 years later I have this insurance and then I get depression mm-hmm. it won't be covered because the 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 reasons in their head is this person went to therapy in the past so it's very likely that they go again and mm-hmm. so we don't cover that 
which I think is absurd yes. because people that have actually gone and said to themselves, I have an issue that I can't solve alone yeah. and not with family or friends, they actually went to a professional and said, I need help yeah. and I need therapy for something. And then you get burned by the system for that, yeah. which is I th which I think is absolutely insane. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like the system rewards you to suppress it. That's the yeah, problem, exactly. right? Yeah. And, and, that, and, and generally, you can probably extrapolate this statement to most systems, right? Health insurance is one of them, but even your employer does the same thing. Like, unless you have an employer that actually cares about you, which it's not often the case, right? Because they care about whatever margins or, or investors they need to actually pay money to. But if, if you, if you, even if you have an employer, they will still only at a certain point jump into action. Everything else is for you to deal with. And often yeah. that just means you suppress it to not stand out, right? The tall puppy syndrome. You don't want to be the one that stands out above everybody else so that they can get cut at some point. It's horrible. It is, it's a problem that uh, I think we just have to solve from within the community because we cannot expect the institutional systems around us to actually solve it for us. Yeah, I mean, no, they won't. They're trying to. Right, they're trying mm -hmm. to reform themselves. the The governments are, are, are dealing with this more. They they have institutional systems that now at least talk about it. Right, it it becomes more of a of a mainstream conversation. But before the other institutions actually follow pace and and do something that is in our interest, we kind of have to at least bring this topic up more and more and more so that people don't fall into this self suppressive state. Right, where they they just keep it all in. Don't even talk to their partners about it, which is another thing we should talk about when we. Talk mm -hmm. about indie hacking, hopefully at a later point, right? Involving not just your own mental health in this, but the mental health of the people around you, which is quite. That, that was also something that I noticed in my own journey as a as a founder is that my mental health was, was pretty important, but so was the mental health of the the people on my team, right? which mm -hmm. is in, in my case was just my my life partner Danielle, my co founder and and girlfriend at the time. Now also girlfriend and here, right? Post, post exit <laughs> girlfriend still, which is great. She's still you know, there. Yeah. <laughs> she's still there. Still have a great life. And all, we also have a puppy, which has probably been one of the most mental health boosting uh, mm -hmm. additions to my life. But we can get to that too. Uh, the mental health of the people around you is pretty significant. And your own mental health is very important for them to be able to continue having theirs. So... That yeah. in, in indie hacking is not a solopreneurship, but solopreneurship doesn't mean you're alone. It just means you do things by yourself. Those are two very distinct things. Yeah, exactly. And then there's also the question of when you start indie hacking, it's pretty much what you described earlier. It's just you have a full-time job usually, or yeah. maybe, you, maybe you're a student and the, the situation is a little different, yeah. but most people start their indie hacking journey in nights and weekends. Right. And that's tremendous. And then there are people which I have the utmost respect for, which are people that do that and yeah. also have small children. Yes. I, I don't know how they do it. And I think no let's, idea. Let's, let's talk about this because I think this this goes into the direction that I was trying to go to just now with the, the partner and the, the social fabric that you're in. Like the moment you have a job, that's already pretty stressful, like 40 yeah. hours a week or however much that is. Like for most people, it's not 40 hours. It's like 44, 45, you know, overtime, weekend, you're always spending time on your phone, looking at work emails, that kind of stuff. That counts as work time, right? If you if you add your screen time, which is likely somewhat work-related to your 40 hours that you clock in and out, you get to like 45, 50 hours a week. That is already a lot of time that you spend on somebody else's stuff. 
right? And it doesn't leave your mind, particularly for us as knowledge workers, if we're a designer or a developer or a writer, like I take my work with me wherever I go. I go to the store, I go buy some stuff, some food. I'm thinking about what I'm going to write about today. Or I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about how I could edit this particular part for my podcast or whatever, right? It doesn't stay in the office. I take it with me, which as I'm working from home has been a challenge too, like making, making, making space for work and making space for not work. Like I have a room that I'm in most of the time where I work. And once I leave this room, I try to leave the work behind. Doesn't always work, but just for my own sanity, and that is definitely a mental health problem, I try to keep the work located in this room and to not like take my laptop up to the kitchen or whatever. I'm in a basement, right? So I'm just pointing upstairs because that's where the kitchen is. <laughs> I could have my laptop there. I could work from there, but I choose not to. If I work, I do it from here. And that allows separation of concerns in the house. I close the door. This is my workspace. I open the door. You're invited to come in and interrupt me. You know, there's rules about this too. Mm -hmm. And that also, it just allows for expectations, for, for realistic expectations around the distinction between work and non-work. And that gets super hard if you add a side project because now you have work. If you work, if you work from home as a software developer or something and you have a side project and you have a dog and you have children and you have a partner, like these are five things that you need to juggle all the time and they all happen in the same space. Like no wonder the pandemic has caused us to go like crazy, almost literally in some cases, right? And I, I mean this not to be disrespectful to people with, with mental health issues that, that border on, on like insanity or any other kind of clinical thing. Like these things, they just they make our mind, they confuse our minds. Like that we are in a place where we're supposed to be professionals and caring partners and, you know, like parents and adults all at the same time. It is really unsurprising that this has been very frustrating for a lot of people. And just like you, utmost respect to anybody who juggles not just a job, but a job and raising human beings, which is probably one of the most complicated things you could ever do, right? Even rocket, right? what I call it sometimes, it's not rocket science, it's rocket surgery, because I, I love this phrase, right? It's, the, it's, it's not brain surgery and not rocket science. So it's rocket surgery. Even that is probably easier than juggling the mental workload of raising human beings and being there for their needs and being professional, and being a caring partner, and being a, a, a loving person to the people around you, and a, you know, a strong person for work, and a strong person for your partner, all of this, man, just thinking about it makes me anxious. <laughs> and point, we, haven't right? even, we haven't even talked about free time, right? You, you still have <laughs> yeah, right. maybe hobbies? hobbies? That is <laughs> another <laughs> thing? <laughs> no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> that, that becomes a thing too, because you need a place to recover, not just from from your work or or from stress, you need to recover from this situation where everything yeah. else is also there, right? It's I think it's unsurprising that people retreat into <laughs> that most that, and most men, and that's just my personal experience as one. They just want to have a cabin in the woods where they're alone. Right? So that's kind <laughs> of the and and I think or, or just have a garden somewhere that they can go and just snip a couple of trees or whatever, or grow a couple of tomatoes, or you know that that's that kind of primal instinct to be alone in nature, that feels like it's a compensation for all the societal pressures that you have. Mm -hmm. And this also exists for women, obviously, right? But I'm just talking from my own experience here. Most people that I talk to that are in this situation, they just, they just want to get out. Every now and then, they only need 10 minutes. They only need 15 minutes or whatever a day to just reset, but they need that. And if they cannot have it because the stresses of their lives, they kind of self-impose sometimes, but 
most of the time uh, external, if they pressure them into not having this time, that it does a lot of damage too. Yeah, you're going, also not not in the clinical sense, but you're going pretty insane then. One thing that you mentioned was the pandemic, where I have a horror story of some kind. Back in, in the start of the pandemic, I was still solo. So my girlfriend and I, we just celebrated two years together. Oh, um, and thank you. And at the start of COVID, obviously, that wasn't the case then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was single. And then COVID hit. And in Germany, for the listeners that haven't been there, the rules were pretty pretty strong <laughs> at some point at some point we couldn't leave our state there were curfews at night so you would yeah. have to be in your house at 10 in the in the evening and i was living alone and i worked for my company remote so mm. you have this this exact situation that you just described you have your work at home at a desk you have your hobbies your free time at home at the same desk <laughs> you are always alone and you have in my case only two rooms to be in and that was a situation where I can tell you about the first lockdown, which was March to May in 2021. Was that was well, it the first? It must have been 2020. 2020, sorry. Yeah. So in, oh man, that's already three years <laughs> it's, it's, ago. It's a um, while ago. It's all a blur, yeah. <laughs> right? I, I try to forget it too, because I was there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I can just tell you that from those three months, I cannot remember what I did. I had <laughs> yes. I had like one I had one customer which mm. I worked for five days. We only had one company internal meeting, which was Friday Friday morning, and you pretty much just worked for the for the customer five days a week. Yeah. And I cannot remember anything that I did for the three months. It's just gone. It's just yeah. gone from my head and it's not coming back probably. And that's just that just tells you how not okay the setup is, right? Yeah. And it's yeah, really, sure. really stressful for people. Oh, I remember that too. And I, I had a similar situation. I mean, I had a partner, but in a way that was just like two people in the same situation together. Yeah. <laughs> like we were locked in our little Berlin apartment, which was ju- just really God. also one big room and a bedroom, right? I mean, we had a little office, but you know, that, that was our d- d- uh, separation was I was in the office, Daniel was on the couch or I was on the couch, Daniel was in the office. And that was our distinct space that we had. And we also were in a really small space in a big building with lots of people, didn't get to talk to people, didn't really go much outside either because that was kind of weird. We developed this little take a, a walk every day around noon just mm-hmm. to be you know in, in nature nature in the middle of berlin right to, just to be outside <laughs> and there were there were like two or three trees that we saw so technically nature and just you know walk around and, and get the feeling for space again like to that you are a human being that occupies not just one tiny apartment but a whole city that you're in right that that was that was something that we established but i mean i can understand this at that point in early 2020 I think I was just like starting to write. I also didn't really know what I was doing. I was just like hanging out on the internet, on Twitter, Mm -hmm. figuring out what I was going to do. We had just finished selling the business and then COVID hit too. We we had actually been in, in Canada over December 2019 which was when that started to come up, right? It was like November, December that the first kind of cases happened mm-hmm. and then the world was looking at it and wondering what was going to happen to people in the pandemic. And we were looking mid-January to buy a home here in Canada. And just we were you know, trying to figure out what we we're going to do. We flew back and then like a week later, the first case hit Germany. Like we, it was really exactly at that time. And it was also at the time that I got super sick and started coughing. So I had no idea what was going on. Like I, 
I had like seven days that I had, was like had fever and that kind of stuff. I, I still to this day do not know if I had it or I didn't mm-hmm. because we didn't even have the tests yet in Germany. Like I was just coming from an international flight from a highly, <laughs> you know, a highly populated airport here in Canada, surrounded by a lot of people wearing masks already that came from places like China. It was bizarre. Yeah, sure. I had no idea what was going on. I may have been the first case of COVID in Germany and nobody ever knew. It was awesome. But it, it, there was a lot of stress around that too. Like it's not just that you were locked in. I mean, it was bad enough, right? You were locked in. You didn't know what you were going to do. You didn't know how to be, stay sane and have social interactions that the stuff you described, that must have been horrible. But you also had this fear of this illness that might kill you. <laughs> Let's not mm-hmm. forget that. Let's not yeah, forget yeah. that everybody was that afraid part, yeah. to die, right? Mm-hmm. That was that level of stress. Like it's no wonder, really, that people developed. I, I, I don't know if, if that is respectful to say, but mental lung COVID, like this permanent mm. fear of of everything around you. Like I don't know if there is even like a psychological description for this this kind of st- permanent state of fear of potentially being infected with a deadly disease. But if if we ever had a time for people to develop it, it would have been then, right? So how how did you deal with this? Like I, you say that you didn't, or you don't have much recollection of what you did back then. Was it really just working, working and eating and sleeping for you? So the first, pretty much the first entire year was kind of a blur. Mm -hmm. That was the time where I kind of started indie hacking. So I might have been busy with that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That was when I was first starting to work on on an idea more seriously that I had in my mind. Um, Also at the time where I founded my company, Um, let's just say company because it's difficult German tax stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of maybe I haven't ever thought about that, but maybe actually use the indie hacking part as an as a coping me- mechanism as well. And then which I can 100% mirror from you what you said is I also had a game which I used as an escape mechanism. Mine was League of Legends. Yeah. But it's pretty much the same thing, right? You yeah, just sure. stop working and started gaming in the evening. Yep. And what what I did, and I think I think I did two things that helped me survive the second, the third lockdown and stuff. The first one was that I also started walking around mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being in a smaller town, I actually saw trees on my way. Oh, well, congrats. Um, yeah. <laughs> also did some photos. Wow. And I think that helped. I think that helped a lot. And the other thing was that in November of 2020, people started talking about the next lockdown. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can already see that the situation won't change until April. And I already thought about getting a pet in the summer. So in November, I actually looked up a local, local, what's it called? Local club that (laughs) that has uh, like abandoned animals there and stuff. And I went there, I looked at a very, very stressed cat that was abandoned by their owners. And uh, now she lives with me. And we had had a, a winter full of problems and issues that we have to had to fix with her because mm-hmm. she was not confident at all she didn't she she basically lived in my in my bathroom cupboard for two months i think and we had to like every little step that she became more confident showed more in in the in the other rooms and stuff yeah. it took months to get there and i think that we both it t- sounds a little too pathetic isn't the right word in english it sounds a little 
very emotional for me mm -hmm. now, but we kind of needed each other in that situation. She needed a new home and someone that she can trust, which she obviously couldn't before. She was mm -hmm. a very, very fearful cat in the beginning. And I needed someone to not be alone again for five to six, six months. Yeah. And now she moved with me to the northern part of Germany and she's still here. I just closed nice. the door so she can't interfere with the with the podcast. <laughs> but usually... Is she, is she curious? Does she want to join? Does she want yeah, to yeah. come All the time. Yeah. We can't, you can't record a podcast with, uh, without closing the door here. Cute. <laughs> that's nice. That's really, that's yeah. really kind of you. That's, first off, it's, it's, it's a pretty smart move to, to get a living being, to, to join your space. And I think a lot of people did that. A lot of people got pandemic pets. Like they, yeah. they called... And, and that has cause another wave of abandonment like post pandemic yeah it's really difficult yeah the pandemic puppies they have done a, a lot of positive work with the people that they were with ours we got her last year she's a year and a half old so mm -hmm. we, we waited after to, to until after the <laughs> pandemic to get our puppy for some reason but it kind of it took us took us a while to acclimatize to canada in the first place so that that was kind of stopped us from this but it's really nice that you got a kitty I, and I'm glad that your your cat like grew to to enjoy your presence and to be with you, yeah. as as that's the whole point of having a pet. I think a pet like that that's I mean, that's something that I want to talk about too. Like we got our dog. Mm -hmm. she, her name is Bina, which is German for honeybee. For anybody who does not speak <laughs> German, with her, I think I have found my my mental health coping mechanism number one. Like my my first and high, highest most impactful mental health coping mechanism is that dog. Because she, like me, has as her love language just physical touch. Like that's mm -hmm. some people have like acts of service. Then you know they have gifts, or there there are five love lang languages in in a certain kind of framework. Physical touch is mine, and words of encouragement. No, she doesn't speak, but she shows me. Right? Like <laughs> she is she if she she wants to cuddle, I want to cuddle. We have a little cuddle in the middle of the day, even when Danielle is not here or something. Like a person to to be with the dog has that function, and then. She also gets me out of the house, which yeah, exactly. as a, a fairly lazy person, I tend not to do. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I don't, that, that doesn't come naturally to me is to walk and stuff. I, I just do things and I'm very computer focused because that's what my life has always been. Looking at a screen, doing stuff that is cool and amazing. Right. So <laughs> I, I tend to sit and do things, but the dog needs to be walked. She demands to be walked, like very physically demands that. So I walk, I listen to podcasts on the way, which gets me other people's perspectives on whatever. Right. I listen to a lot of indie hacker podcasts, a lot of Harry Potter and Star Trek podcasts because I'm kind of a nerd, <laughs> but that that is part of my journey is to listen to other people to even if they are parasocial relationships through podcasts, which most social media based relationships are right. You you know a person more than they know you. I, I'm on the receiving end of a lot of this, being pretty present on Twitter. A lot of people know a lot about me, but I know very little about them, which is unfortunate because I would like to, but at scale <laughs> it's just impossible. So even though that happens, it is still a relationship. Right, it may be a fictitious one, but it is something that our let's let's call it animal mind, like our very basic human need of of connectivity and connection with people, that fulfills that role. The pet does, and listening to podcasts does, and the the dog is the perfect combination. I don't think you need to walk your cat a lot, but no. just take, <laughs> taking care of an animal just exposes you to a different kind of work. And I don't have children, obviously. Because otherwise, I wouldn't have started to talk about my dog, but would have probably talked about my kids. But I would assume that that also is a way to not just be caught in the the professional work thinking all the time, which 
you can easily get caught up in. Like particularly if you are working a full-time job and you're then starting to do side projects as an indie hacker. You, you're always between two professional worlds, right? You're doing your thing or you're doing the thing that you really want to do, which is your own project that generates wealth and opportunities down the road. And it's hard not to just keep that on all the time because you want to think all the time. Yeah. You want to find the next cool feature idea, the next cool business opportunity, because the moment you have these ideas and you act on them, you make progress, right? You don't want to keep yourself from making progress, but sometimes you just need to really shut it off. And that is extremely hard. I think something that is very impressive to me, having a partner that can work with me, like my, mm -hmm. my partner is a UX designer, I'm a UX engineer, mm -hmm. so we can actually do projects together. We have some indie hacking things that we are trying to do together, mm -hmm. but you guys actually did it a lot with Feedback Panda. Yes. And how, how is that? How was that for you? Like before you sold the business and after mm -hmm. having to having to work sounds a little bad. Working with <laughs> your partner all day and then switching back and still being with your partner mm -hmm. and then also having the the at least for some part of the of the journey being in a very small Berlin apartment, so you don't yeah. really can't ex you can't escape the other person, right? How was having that to for work you? is the right phrase. I think it's, I had to work <laughs> with her because I did I had, didn't have anywhere else to go, and that was yeah. actually one of the interesting things. Like we we're really good at communicating, Danielle and I. Like from the start, we've we've been in a relationship for two years or something before we started the business, so we already had established fairly useful and necessary communication skills with each other. Otherwise, we would not have done anything like this. We wouldn't even be a couple anymore if that wouldn't have worked, right? But we had this, we, we had ways to talk to each other about emotional and stressful things. There was never any any problem with that. So we had ways to deal with problems. But there were moments when we were like, yeah, it's it's really hard because we don't have a partner to go home to. Like we mm -hmm. are home with our partner and we cannot complain to our partner about our boss because our partner <laughs> is the boss. Right? For both of us, we were yeah. equal co-founders in this business. There was nobody to talk to about that one other person that slightly annoys me sometimes. That was that person that I was <laughs> talking to. It was it was horrible in a way, but it also just made it easier for us to deal with problems because we didn't really have to fight about it. Like If there was an issue, we knew that we needed to resolve an issue immediately. We never held a grudge. We never like let things pile up. We always solved them right there. So I guess before we were already in a, in a very strong communication-based relationship, during, we just amplified it and we, we separated it. That was an interesting one too. I'll get to that in a second. And afterwards, we just fell back into a normal relationship where we both had a shared story that if there was any issue, we could always recur back to that story. So mm -hmm. I'm, maybe I'm going to get to the middle part first because that's interesting. We yeah. decided to say we are we are two different things when we talk about the business or when we talk about personal stuff. So we said in, in, in our communication about issues, we always prefaced it with, I am speaking to you as the co-founder of your business right now. Mm -hmm. We didn't like, and, and on the other hand, I'm speaking to you as your partner, as your life partner, as your girlfriend, as your boyfriend. And that preface made it very clear on how to interpret the thing that followed. Right? Because if you say, I'm speaking to you as your boyfriend, you're spending way too much time on the business right now. That means, you know, spend more time with me. I want attention. But if mm -hmm. you say, I'm speaking to you as a business partner, you're spending too much time on this particular feature. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's a prioritization conflict in the organizational problem that we're currently dealing with. We need to reorganize this. Let's have a little meeting. Let's figure this out. Right? The, that preface 
for the same thing that you say makes a whole lot of difference on how you interpret it. And it leaves less room to speculation. And that leaves less room to confusion. So that's, that was always helpful to, to almost literally put on a little hat, right? To put on the hat of the business owner or take off the hat and be the person again. That was a, that was a means for us to communicate very clearly what we needed. And the other thing I just mentioned, after we sold the business, which in itself was a, like building the business, that was complicated, but selling the business was a whole other thing, right? Because <laughs> you have to negotiate price with people. And it's a pretty high risk thing because that, that's, for us at least, it was the most valuable thing we ever owned was that particular business, right? That was worth millions. And we, we had like a couple thousand bucks in savings. Like it was not too much. We were living mm. paycheck to paycheck at that point. So that was a, a pretty high risk risk thing to sell the business and to go through the transition because we needed to keep running the business and share all the data from the business with our potential acquirer and do the due diligence with them and 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 right there was more and more to do so that was a pretty stressful part i was mid burnout at that point because i was the only technical person in the business and we had a lot of server issues occasionally or customers had problems you know what it is like people talk to you and you think you're the only person who can solve it it just all adds up so once we were done with this, we, we had an experience that I would almost say very few people have together, right, as a couple. Like building something that was very stressful to build, stressful to run, extremely stressful to hand over. But once that was done, like whatever problem we have today is like, yeah, whatever. Like we've done so much more. We've done to we've went through so so much more complicated stuff together. This doesn't matter. Like we I don't think we ever really had a fight in our relationship that exceeded the regular kind of discussion that you have because whenever we get to a point like either one of us figures out, yeah, we've been through so much worse. This is not relevant. This is not important. And it gives us this kind of baseline to go back to on on a relationship level to say, come on, like, let's just drop this and be a couple that went through this together. So that really helps. I think I, I'm seeing a lot of parallels um, to our situation, actually. Mm -hmm. um, we might be in a different uh, part of the, of, the, of the path, yeah. a little further down the road, uh, or a little less further down the road. I'm not sure um, what, the, what the phrase is. Depends um, on the direction of the road. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is that if you and I don't think you don't. I don't think you have to be a couple for this. But what you will have to do with any kind of co-founder is be very, very open emotionally, mm -hmm. and also communicate far more than you think is necessary. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, we, because we're doing the, the same thing, we also never really have fights. We, I, I can't remember one at, actually. <laughs> we have arguments in, in English. You can use those two terms mm -hmm. pretty good. We have arguments where we might, might not be the same. We might not have the same opinion on stuff, but it doesn't yes. mean that you should start a fight over it, yeah. mostly. And I think that's a very, very healthy mindset to have, but a very hard one to acquire. I think a lot yeah. of people, especially in our age, I think people will, I think some people need into their 50s, 60s, or maybe never learn it, how mm -hmm. to communicate effectively with your partner or a co-founder yeah. to not cause fights or arguments like that yeah you also need to find the right people for that right yeah. because like if you have a partner <laughs> that is emotionally manipulative that like yeah. knows how to push your buttons 
then you will never be open and authentically honest with them because they are just going to use it, right? If there is emotional abuse, and many relationships have this, right? Many relationships are built on a power dynamic that is not equal because yeah, for yeah, some sure. reason, yeah. that is how it happens and that is how it stayed. Like with those partners, you will not be able to do this. Like the same goes for, for business partners. It doesn't have to be a couple. Like if you have a business partner that thinks like he's the best person that ever walked this planet and you're just a person that gets to be graced with their presence and then build stuff for them, you're not going to have an equal relationship with them. You're not going to be emotionally open to a person that will immediately abuse it. So that is a big deal. Like to, to find the person that is that, that thinks as you as an equal when you go into any kind of relationship, this is turning into dating mm-hmm. advice, right? Let's just talk, talk <laughs> yeah, about it. Because yeah, but it's th- good what, for co-founders as well. Exactly, because there's no difference. Like yeah. the, the, the goal for a relationship with a person that you're dating is to build a life with them. The goal for a co-founder is to build a business with them. You can kind of, you can flip these back and forth and the, the dynamics are still the same, right? So finding somebody who respects you as an equal contributor <laughs> is generally the only way to go if you want to have a peaceful and you know trust based relationship there are little there are like multiple things i want to talk about i will start with one and try to get back to the others <laughs> the one thing that i wanted to ask one more question about was you sold your business then so feedback yes. panda was gone and at some point the money was in the bank right mm-hmm. so you don't have like a thousand Uh, euros worth of savings now you have enough you Mm -hmm. can't talk about the number but that's okay but you have enough to live on for several months at least without doing anything so how do how did you guys together deal with that situation because it's one that i don't think many people will ever face well we we prepared like we were we had this conversation since i guess the moment that people started to be interested in acquiring us we had this conversation about how would we diversify, right? Like because mm-hmm. that's the whole reason we actually sold is to be able to diversify our, not just investments, but our wealth. Because that business was the, the thing that was our wealth, right? We had a, a couple million in value that was not money. And we, we wanted to turn it into money so we could turn it into different kinds of value. So we, we talked about how to invest, like how to invest in the stock market, how to invest into like ETFs or real estate or into other companies like the, the Com Company Fund, back then Earnest Capital, mm-hmm. which we both invested in as well. Investing into things that we know something about. We had a lot of conversations about dealing with investing money. And we bought a house, the, the one I'm sitting in, that is mm-hmm. paid for by a SaaS, by an indie hacked SaaS, which is kind of cool. Like to know that this place was paid for by, by the thing that, that, that I did. Right? That's, that mm-hmm. is still bizarre to think about, but that's how this happened. So we, we just took a pretty neutral look at what are we going to make from this and how would we split it up we we both are very frugal people in that regard like we i, I buy a lot of gadgets and stuff for you know like i i like technology but i i don't need a lamborghini or something like that mm-hmm. i don't need like a fancy car i don't need a fancy boat or whatever that's not what i like i'm a i don't even go outside like why would i need this right <laughs> but uh, what what i want is a comfortable life doing the things that i care about which at this point yeah, is teaching exactly. people and and encouraging them to do cool things so that's the stuff that we thought about how would that look like would we buy a house would we build a house would we build in germany would we build in canada we made those choices long before we sold the business the moment we had this idea of okay we could do this now and we probably should that's when we started having conversations about this. We did something called, oh, what was it? I think the people behind one, the one thing, the book, they have this kind of 
the summit. So it's a it's a just a document, a PDF file where you can just talk with your partner about all kinds of different things. Like you take mm-hmm. a day and you spend the whole day just chatting about what is important to us in terms of financials. What is important to us in terms of our children? Do we have some? Do we want some? Do we not want them anymore? <laughs> like all of mm-hmm. these things you talk about. You talk about how important are our parents. How is our living situation? What does work like for us right now? Just kind of a family-based or partnership-based little conference. You talk about all these little things. And then you write them down and you revisit this every year. Right? You do it once a year. And we did that a couple times in the past. And that is what we also did back then. We just talked about where do we want to be? Who do we want to be with? Who would really would, we would be very sad about if we couldn't spend the next year with them? Those kind of things. And that made it very clear what our next couple of steps would be post-sale of the business, which was funny because that was late 2019. And we thought, yeah, we're going to move to Canada next year in 2020. That's going to be the year for making a big international <laughs> move. I, I'm going to get my visa, right? I'm going to get my, my permanent citizenship there. That's going to be easy and not going to be delayed by a year at all. Like All of these <laughs> things were planned at that point, but we had a plan forward. We had a very clear path that we made up at that point because we are planners both of us so that helped and i kind of have to imagine this because it didn't happen to me but i would think that still all with the stress of the sale and stuff mm-hmm. isn't is there a part i know that you did a video with his name doesn't come to me right now the the founder that also sold his company for 200 million to pedal i think yeah, patrick um, patrick campbell Exactly. Ah, yeah, Patrick Campbell. When in discussion with him, you, I, I, I remember that you said that, or he said that he didn't really think he was finished then, yeah. and he, he, he thought about building the next, the next thing. Man, isn't that so bizarre? Yeah, two hundred million dollars, <laughs> and you didn't get two hundred million dollars, but you got enough money that you didn't have to do another thing. Mm-hmm. What, what, like, was there a, a point after the sale that you just went, okay, now I'm just doing nothing for a month? Yeah. On purpose or not? And how did that change later? There was this weird moment where I thought I could get back into World of Warcraft. I'll tell you that. That was bizarre. (laughs) Like I thought, huh, now I'm going to spend my whole life playing World of Warcraft. And I did it for like a week. And it was like, what the is this? I don't know what this is. Like it was the the least fulfilling thing I ever did. Probably. (laughs) And in retrospect, like... I, that's kind of also where I understood just how hollow this was as an activity. There's nothing against World of Warcraft. It's a wonderful game. And if you play it consciously, actively, and you have limits, it's great. But I, I used to play it as a coping mechanism. And I didn't need that anymore. And I found that there is not much purpose to play a game like really extensively if you don't need it to kind of fill a void, right? And I I did have a void, but I just filled it differently. The game itself did not fulfill this. Like the the game... Back in the day, it gave me purpose, but I had found a much better kind of purpose, which was serving people. Right? Playing a game is a very selfish act. You you let the game kind of like fire all these new uh, the things in your mind, all these these kind the of neurons. You get, yeah, the neurons, <laughs> not the neutrons, the neurons, and you you get all the the dopamine and all these things right from playing this game. But I had found something that has had much much deeper meaning to me, and that was just being 
somebody who helps people get from A to B, right? Which is building a business if, effectively. And the game just did not fulfill this. So I, I was in a void at that point, which was kind of a passion purpose void. I didn't really know what to do, but I quickly found it in writing, very quickly found it in writing. Danielle took a bit longer, like for her, she, she's a trained musician, she's an opera singer. So the whole software as a service thing kind of came more as a surprise to her than anything else. For me, it was always on the path. I knew what it was, but I for her, it was just completely out of left field is uh, what they say here, because that apparently is a baseball <laughs> metaphor that we now need to all to know. But, you know, it was very surprising. But And she she was trying to figure out, well, I've done this now, but I'm actually a musician. What am I going to do? Right. So took her a while to find it. She's now an audio engineer. She went into mm -hmm. that particular direction, but it took her a couple of years to, to get to that point. I found very quickly that writing was my thing, which to a software developer is actually not that surprising. You're writing every day. You're just writing for machines. You're not writing for people. But once you figure out that you can also write for people. <laughs> you, you're already typing. You're pretty good at that. So might just as well. That was a pretty easy thing for me to, to get into writing. And that filled my, my purpose void much more. But yeah, there was this moment where I just thought, I'm just going to do nothing, going to play games. Did not do it for me. I needed mm -hmm. to find something where people... It's kind, of, it's kind of selfish in that way. I needed something where people needed me to be there. And like for them, right? Started the blog... I started the, the newsletter and then later the podcast and then the YouTube channel, all of this adding more and more reasons why people need the thing I do so that I keep doing the thing. It's an accountability thing for me. Told you I was mm -hmm. lazy. I needed people to tell me, hey, write this because otherwise I probably <laughs> wouldn't write it. And this is now, I think today, I just, just earlier, an hour and a half ago, I recorded episode 253 of my podcast because I know that tomorrow somebody will want to listen to episode 253 so i better record it today so that's how that works for me do you still have like when you once you were out of this situation where you had to decide what to do next mm -hmm. do you still deal with mental health issues at least in the stress and anxiety part afterwards is that still a thing even though you don't have any monetary pressure for say it was uh, the thing is you you kind of you upgrade your problems Right. That's mm -hmm. that's always the thing. Like I think it's it's part of this whole hedonic adaptation cycle, right? The hamster wheel. Like now I have to deal with the pressure of making sure that my investments are protected. And now I have to make sure that I don't like cut into them too much, right? Because even though investments happen, we are in a recession, so there's not as much coming in. And it feels like I need to provide still and I, I, I still want to make money because as I am an educator in the, the creator software as a service world. Like, I'm not going to not make money and tell people how to make money, right? There's a kind of a pressure for me to still be actively, <laughs> yeah. like, pretty much productive and make revenue, right, to be profitable. So there are pressures still. They're not as strong. And I think from, from the start, I decided that I will not allow these things to overcome me as they did in the past. I will not allow anxiety to take a foothold in my life anymore which is kind of why I structured my media business that I'm running currently the way it is. I have one thing a week. Well, I guess I have two things a week with the interviews that I do. <laughs> but I, have, I write one thing a week and I have one conversation a week. These are two things I can manage. They come with a couple more things, editing, distribution, and all that stuff. But two moments of where I need clarity, and that's it for my week. I don't invite anything else in there. I don't do like a cohort course or like a lot of consulting or anything. Occasionally, I still do this because it's interesting and it gets new ideas into my system. But for most weeks, 
I write one article, record a couple versions of that. I have one conversation and that's it. Like I will, I, I capped the, the amount of things that come into my life at a pretty, pretty low bar. And that has kept me from focusing so much on my work that I have no time for anything else. I still spend 40 hours a week around all of this, <laughs> but as Danielle is actively working as a, as an audio engineer, we only really have the weekends and I mm -hmm. keep those free for family time now. Like weekends are very, very important for me as they've never been in the past. I've always been freelancing, doing whatever, worked on the weekends, worked sometimes not on the weekends, but now they become a, a pretty important part of my life. I'm just getting older and boring, I guess. That's what it is. But <laughs> weekends are important and I keep my work out of my weekends. I used to edit on the weekends. I'm not doing this anymore. So yeah, there we go. I, I still deal with it on occasion. And like I said, I'm sorry for, for just diving back into this, but there are still pressures in my life that come with the thing that I'm doing, right? I still need to come up with something really meaningful every week that people resonate with. Mm -hmm. I still need to protect my brand. I need to speak out and I need to actively manage my community and not be forgotten. And I need to protect my assets. I need to protect the business. I need to grow the business. I need to talk to sponsors. I need to write invoices. There is still some pressure business-wise, but it's by far not as much as having to fear being woken up in the morning at 2 a.m. by a robocall because our servers are down. That is not a thing. Like I, th That's why I'm doing media. But honestly, I, I chose writing because nobody can... Like if Amazon goes down and they are not being able to sell my book, not my problem, right? Like they have to fix their own servers. But yeah. that's, that's one of the reasons why I went into writing is because it's, it's delayed. It's result delayed. I don't need to have uptime. I think about uptime when I write. So you kind of answered my question right now. <laughs> I You're wanted welcome. to ask you. I wanted to ask you if you ever thought about going back into the SaaS world. But uh, let me make that more more general, maybe, um, because you kind of answered that. Mm -hmm. um, like every one of us, I think that is in this indie hacker space, we're very creative people, and we have mm -hmm. like, at, at least for me, and I think most people are like this. We have like two, three, four, five new ideas every week. Yeah. And like you described it right now, you have cut down doing more work and doing different projects very, very much for yourself. So you pretty much concentrate on one project, which mm -hmm. is which is the media content creation, yes. right? You can kind of make that into one project. Oh. How do you deal with those ideas still coming up? Are they still coming up? Are you thinking about new mm -hmm. stars? What are you doing in cases like mm -hmm. that? Well, I I try to invalidate it as quickly as I can. <laughs> because, yeah, and often that's very easy. It's very easy to to take the idea and just kind of slam it against the wall and it just like drops down and it doesn't stick. But there are two ways. Like there are sometimes things like the YouTube channel is an example, right? I, I started my, my blog just writing, then I put the newsletter up and then eventually somebody told me, hey, I have problems reading. Can you just kind of put an automated podcast or something? And I said, no, I'm going to actually record myself reading this for you. And that is what the <laughs> podcast turned out to be. It's just me reading my articles. And now I have interviews and all that stuff on there. But YouTube channel is an example here. It just kind of happened because I thought, hmm, YouTube is kind of cool. How would I go about this? And then I thought, hmm, I'm just going to put a camera up here and just record myself as I already record my podcast mm -hmm. because I'm speaking into this mic. Might just as well look into this camera, right? That was, yeah, that sure, was yeah. the thought. Yeah. So that was an idea that I had. And I, I guess you could call it a business idea extension that worked and that I, I did because it was synergistic with the stuff that I already did. It was not something completely different. 
And since your question probably was, would you do another SaaS again? The thing is, I run one. I have a, a software as a service business called Permanent Link. Permanent Link. Oh, yeah, is sure, a, yeah. Right? <laughs> I can <laughs> remember now, yeah. nobody really yeah. knows. That yeah. Because the idea behind <laughs> Permanent Link is I wanted to see if I could build a profitable, super laser-focused, complete business that doesn't constantly require me to build stuff. Mm-hmm. And there we go. I think the last code push I did to, for Permanent Link was like four months ago, and it was a little bug fix that I did. And the last one before that was like six months before that. I, I think I did two code pushes in a year. This thing has paying customers. It runs all the time, 24-7. It has not had any outage in two years at this point because I set it up to be really simple, to not have too many things going on. And I do not market it much because I only need mm-hmm. it for myself. And by, I guess, happenstance, other people also started using it. It was really just a little project. But now it has paying customers. Like there, it supports a couple pretty significant books because it's a it's a link forwarder for books, right? Mm-hmm. You put links in your book and you make sure that those links always point at something, either the thing that it's supposed to point at or if the link breaks, a version, an archived version of that. That's what permanent link is. It's the idea to have a permanent version of the thing you want to link to in your book because I needed that in my own. And I have many authors now using it for their books. I don't market it at all. I don't think I've ever sent a cold email anywhere about this thing, but people pay for it. And I run this as an experiment to see, A, can I still run a SaaS? The answer is yes. And B, can I build a SaaS that is so passive that I don't need to think about it? And that apparently is a thing as well. And now if it breaks, I will still get my call. But the likelihood of that after two years of, of running uninterrupted, because it's it's running on the, the world's uh, most superior technology, Kubernetes, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty oversized thing for a tiny project like this. But it's it's just on the cloud. Somebody else is dealing with it, right? That's that's how that works for me. So I am running a SaaS. It's just not the kind of indie hacker, very public, massive marketing sales kind of thing because it doesn't have to be. That's that's one of the benefits of having had an exit. I don't need to chase the dollars here. I could just mm-hmm. build it as a project. But if the answer to this would have been more from the perspective of somebody who did not have an exit. I probably still would build a SaaS. It's, and, you know, mental health issues. Now I know at least what to expect, and I would be able to build it more with other people. I would build. I would hire much earlier. That's one of the things I I didn't do with Free Feedback Panda. Didn't hire um, somebody to help me, even though I should have. Mm-hmm. And I would scope it differently too. My time mostly, my development time, my customer service time. I would timebox them much more. I used to let them all kind of flow into each other, which meant that I couldn't really balance anything, right? Because, you know, you need to be in a flow state to code. But if somebody talks to you, it pulls you out. You need like half an hour to get back in. And then Mm -hmm. like 10 minutes later, somebody else talks to you again. Like I, I would be very much more protective of my time at this point. But I probably still would. Like, I don't know. I, I would just build it in a way that would not need me to be there 24 seven. That would be the difference this time around. I think the creation of this new SaaS, and sorry, I forgot, I, or I actually knew that you had the SaaS, <laughs> I just forgot it again, because I read about it and I was like, oh, that's a great idea for something that you can just build and it doesn't need updates all the time. Yeah. It has this one feature that actually people really, really need. Yeah. And I thought that that's a really good good idea. I think what also kind of 
is, that's an undertone that I'm hearing. Maybe mm -hmm. it, it's not there, but it feels for me like a fun project as well. Like something mm -hmm. where you went, I need this, but I also want to have a little fun with it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be so serious because yes. it doesn't have to make money, right? Yeah. It's just going to solve my problem. And I think what we as an indie hacker community have kind of a little forgotten or we're not putting enough importance on it is that indie hacking projects can also just have a fun focused approach yes doesn't mean you never make money with it but i think a lot of people come into the bubble especially now and are like i want to earn the biggest mrr yeah. as fast as possible that's but the problem yeah there's actually like should you really start with with the goal of making a lot of money or should fun be the first part yeah i think I think that's that's kind of also where the whole stair stepping methodology comes into play, right? Like what Rob Walling has always talked about, like build a plugin, build a couple plugins, get revenue mm -hmm. streams, and then build a couple experiments here or there. Or Daniel Vassallo is talking a lot about the small bets approach, right? They mm -hmm. build these little things, see if you like them, if you like working on this, and if it takes off, and if not, you can you can call it at some point, and if it works, you can focus your energy on this. I I think. One person that does that super well is Tony Dean, like the guy behind Black Magic, and I guess Typing Mind is the latest thing that he's been building. His, his he has this wonderful screenshot software that I still use called Snapper with an X instead of an S in the beginning, and those are just fun projects. They are fun software, like magic is a, is a browser extension for twitter right it's it's not the world's most complicated SaaS. it's just something that pulls in some data shows a couple really adorable graphs gives you some information and that's it right it's not much more than this but he he's been building these things up to a point where i think he sold like magic after the whole twitter api debacle for still a, a couple was it 50 or a couple hundred thousand thousands think, of dollars I think 250 or something yeah, like that it's yeah. funny because i had him on my podcast i should know but i i forgot the specific <laughs> numbers because it went up and down so much right it was worth millions and then it was worth a couple thousand that anywhere in between but yeah he, he still sold that business when he needed to because he couldn't afford the the api pricing that twitter mm -hmm. hilariously put into into reality but he he built fun tools and some of them took off, some of them didn't. The same what Peter Levels has been doing. He has this wonderful tweet where he shows like the, the 70 different things that didn't work and the four things that did. And he's just been building things because he likes building them. And he and, and Tony is the same way. They have this enthusiasm about building something just because they want it to be real. They don't want it to make massive amounts of MRR. They just want the thing to exist. And I think that's a great way of getting getting started in, in indie hacking because you're absolutely right. People are taking this way too seriously. Yeah. They think I need to quit my job and within three months, I need to get to 5K MRR or I will die. Like what kind of approach to business building is this, right? There is so much pressure. There is so much what could go wrong and probably will if you approach it like that. My my personal way that I would have liked to do it, and I think it's kind of what I did with, with Feedback Panda in particular, I had a job, 40 hours a week. I spent my, my nights and my weekends building something that I thought was really, really needed, but is also something that I really wanted to build. Right? We didn't look at the world and thought, hmm, what would be the best SaaS business that we could possibly build? No, yeah, just exactly. at Danielle sitting across from me teaching kids online, like with finger puppets and everything. And then I saw her having so much fun doing that work. And then I saw her, her frown going, coming on when she had to do the feedback part. Right? She hated that part because it took ages and it wasn't fun. And I thought, can I build something that I enjoy building that makes that more fun for her? And then it did. 
because it was just clicking things together, getting templates in and all that and creating cool templates for other people to use. We built a, a sharing system into the platform. People had a, a lot of fun. Like, wow, this is a cool word to use. It was really enjoyable for people. It was really fun to use the product and it made their life more easy. It made, made their life more enjoyable. Right? So that was part of it too. It was fun for me to build, fun for Danielle to use, and fun for us to sell to other people. And I would like to people to, to, for people to look at indie hacking in the beginning in particular, but also later as something that is also not just a, a source of revenue, it's a, a generator for passion and purpose. Right? And you, you, fun is part of this. Right? If you have a purpose, you enjoy the work. If you have passion for it, it gives you motivation to do it. And if, if you enjoy it, you have fun during that. So yes, very much so. I step away from looking at this purely in terms of numbers. That's a, one of the biggest tips I can give you because that's what you see. All these people posting their graphs and charts with the MRR and that stuff. It's impressive. And I fall, sometimes I fall prey to this too. Like there are people out there that have media businesses that are younger than mine that make like five times the amount of money that, that I make in a year. Right. And I sometimes I feel like an imposter here because like if they are doing this within two years and I haven't done it in four, like, am I even good at this? Like, should I do this mm -hmm. or should they do it? And I should just shut up and play World of Warcraft again? Never. But, you know, <laughs> like that, that stuff still is, is happening to me, even in, in my position where I get to spend every day the way I want to spend it. I get to play with my dog when I want to. I get to have conversations with people like Patrick Campbell, like people who sold their business for like a quarter of a billion dollars and they mm -hmm. come on my show and talk to me. Bizarre. Never thought that would ever happen in my life. I get to do this now. So, and I still feel like, should I be the person talking to them? Should somebody else be? Isn't that somebody else's job? It's just, it's it's relentless. That stuff will just never go away. I have this feeling, right? That, that this is something that just... As somebody who is somewhat of a per perfectionist in a way, I always see the things that could be better. And that kind of, I, I had to work a lot on not making this ruin the experience for me. Because of course it could be better. So I'm going to make it better next time around. That's, that's kind of how I look <laughs> at it right now. How's that for you? Do you feel that too? Because you probably do because we all do. But can you, can you share some experience there for, you, for me? Actually, I just wanted to add that the funny thing is that you might look at like the, the large media guy that you mm -hmm. haven't put a name on. And it, it kind of feels like a pyramid where like th there's less and less people the, yeah. the further you go, right? That's right? At some point it stops. There is a top somewhere, but yeah. you can't really see it. That's but right. it's pretty much the same situation for me being able, like I said in the intro, being able to interview you. Yes. Because at this point, <laughs> I have like 500 plus followers and you mm. have 120k i think yeah. and it's like how th th there's massive imposter syndrome here mm. where i wasn't even the one suggesting talking to you about coming on the show my <laughs> girlfriend said you you had the goal of interviewing arvid this was like one of the biggest goals for the podcast and then I purchased one of your products and we mm -hmm. already had an email conversation because mm -hmm. of that. And then she was like, why don't you just ask him? And the, the barrier you have to then go and be like, oh yeah, sure. Let me ask the guy that has like a yeah. hundred other things to do in his life and not talk to someone that is that small on, on social media. And you're like, do I even deserve having his time? Like I'm yeah. like, like that, that is something I think you always have someone above you where you yes. kind of compare and then you're like, 
oh god i can't even i can't even compare myself to that person i have so much imposter yeah. syndrome and anxiety about this and then i emailed you and you said we yeah, are sure let me just go on uh, like we are, i'm using dotcal for the scheduling let me go on there and get an a, a schedule appointment mm -hmm. and i was like that was that, that that's a little surreal for me uh, even though you have people that are like surreal to you yeah, right it's, it's just the same thing all the way down the same imposter syndrome it doesn't vanish as long as you work you can have 30 40 years of experience you can have yeah. apparently 120k followers and still have it i don't think it vanishes actually <laughs> no, I, I don't think so either i had a conversation about this on my podcast with a, a doctor of psychology and she, she had a couple interesting points about that too like for some people it's harder for some people it's easier but i'm it's still very present it's present and particular for, for people who are ambitious like if there is ambition you look at other ambitious people right that's just how yeah. it works like you see wh where are the borders where are the the kind of things where there is more to be done and those places tend to be the places where other amb ambitious people go, right? They go to the, the frontiers of the field that you're in, and then they try to mm -hmm. stake a new claim outside of it. And you try to go there too and go further than they do. It's it's always the same. And I feel the same way too. And and it's when, when I look at people that I want to interview, sometimes I'm like, ah, should I reach out to this person or not? Like The thing is, I had amazing people on my show, and, and so did you. The people that you talk to on your show, they're awesome as well. Yeah, right? it's, all, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, they, they all have interesting stories to share and you are really good at talking to them by the way just want to let you. you know that you're a great interviewer <laughs> and and that that is something that you you also need to hear sometimes because you may mm -hmm. not think it yourself right you you also you always see how that's a comparison like i i compare myself internally to to courtland allen of the indie hackers podcast yeah right? that is too. somebody that they, <laughs> of course we do because we do the same thing that he has been doing for years now and it's always like oh how is he so easily talking to people how is he just yeah. always like bringing his own experience in so easily but not taking too much time from them and all that and it's like well he's he's just he, he's gotten better over time too listen to the first couple episodes listen to the later ones and you see how he changed like he learned things and you can always learn things so that's that's one thing that i'm now considering myself to be not too bad at talking to people because i can look at my first couple episodes and i'm like yep i learned a lot of stuff in the meantime it's just <laughs> you, you need to be to allow yourself to to make the progress there and you also need to allow yourself to consider yourself to be in the same league as those people so i'm glad that your, your girlfriend told you to talk to me tell her yeah. she's awesome because she's she she sees she is, something yeah. in you that you may not see in yourself and that's one of the biggest problems that we have as solopreneurs we don't have that mirror much outside of us right if you're if you're in a in a team people see how cool you are and if they're smart about it they will tell you about it but if you're doing all of this by yourself like you are the only person in the whole world that thinks as much about you and your work as you do, obviously, right? Nobody else cares, but your partner cares about you on a different level. And they see things that don't, they don't, they're not colored as negatively as your own internal reflection on them. So it's always good to have somebody to talk to. And that's, that's important to me. Like having, thinking about the, the perspective on your life for internally, that's important for your mental health, but having somebody else to talk to that also has a, a mental, a rich mental life and sees you in a different context, that is very important too. Partnerships are, are critical for this. And as you build a business, if you do a side project while you work and have children and a dog and a partnership, that is something that people quickly neglect, that partnership. Even though this yeah. might be one of the strongest contenders for keeping your sanity and staying mentally healthy. 
is having a partner. So one thing that I really want to bring in here at this point, and, and, and I know this may not be fun as a topic, but I, it, is, it is vital, it's paramount to involve your partner into your business decisions or in your business like perspective and what you want to build, even though they may not be in the business. Because in a way, yeah. they are, because they are your mirror for everything that you do in your private life. You need to make sure they're on board. And that's something that Patrick Campbell talked about, actually. We went to, in, to Denver in April this year. There was a microconf, the U, microconf US, and he had to talk before mine. I was there with a mental health talk. I, I gave a, a talk about my own experiences in Feedback Panda, and I got people to talk to each other, which was awesome. There's a, a Startups for the Rest of Us episode where Rob Walling and I, we talk about that event. It was really cool. And Patrick, had the talk before mine. And he talked about selling ProfitWell to Paddle for 200 million and a couple of frameworks that he found along the way. And he kind of said there are three distinct ways of building a business. One is like hypergrowth VC, the other one is kind of you're somewhere in the middle, and then there's indie hacking. And all of these three different ways need three different kinds of partners that you need to be mm -hmm. with if you want to keep them. Because indie hacking, that's fine. You can kind of, you know, you find a partner that, that is supportive of you, but they, they don't have these massive aspirations. But if you go to VC, you need a partner that is completely supportive and allows you to, to be this crazy involved for a short period of time while you scale and spend all your, your waking hours just on this business. And I guess somewhere in between, there are other ways. Like he was just talking about the, the importance of having somebody who's aligned with your journey. And that's what even for indie hackers, it can be complicated. I just want to make sure this, this is clear, right? You, you can, with side projects and all that, have a pretty sizably complicated life. Your partner needs to be aligned with that. They need to have the same goal. They also need to want to have a business that pays for everything. Or, you know, they have a partner that is in a business that is run by them alone. That needs to be a part. I think one tip I have there, and that's a concept that we are doing all the time in our relationship. That's relationship advice again, but mm -hmm. I think it, it also, it's also good for founders, but more so if you have to talk to your partner about your business. And if you have to live, have to, if you're living with a partner and you have a business like mm -hmm. an Indie Hacker business on the side, something of a concept that we're using is the me time you time yeah. thing. So, and the we time. So, yeah. so you have. So, so you can always communicate st stuff like I need some time for myself to think about either the business or not think about anything. Yeah. Uh, I just want to play World of Warcraft or I just want to go for a walk alone because mm -hmm. I need it right now. And that's me time. And in that time, you can have your you time. Yeah. And that is something that works very well as long as you also balance it with the other part, which is yeah. the we time. So like you already said, weekends, right? For us, it's it's... More, more so that we say this evening we're doing something together, yep. be it go out to eat or just walk together or just go bicycling together. And then there's times where I'm like, I need alone time this evening. And that has to be okay. Like both things have to be okay and have to be balanced for yep. that to actually work. Yep. Yeah, well, I found the same thing in our relationship. Like we, we talk a lot about, like we schedule things more. We say like yeah. tonight we're going to do this. Or we're not going to do anything. We can do whatever we want, right? That both of these are choices, active choices. I like this. I like this. And it's, it's funny because you kind of also need that in a business, like with a business partner. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you need time to yourself where you can just focus and tunnel vision on whatever you do. And then there's the time where you can explore ideas and have conversations and vision planning and all that, right? So I'm glad I'm glad you have this. I'm honestly I'm I'm happy to see like a healthy relationships with healthy boundaries and a healthy communication pattern. 
because that for all that we should call this the the relationship advice episode because i think <laughs> that just just establishing this as a concept in your mind that you want will make you make different choices for in and for your relationships so i'm cool you have this i have it too it's pretty pretty powerful it's pretty great right yeah that's right <laughs> And I think also just to say that once and not to push it too far, too, too far with that, but I, I think you have to say it once that the indie hacking business should never be as important as that relationship. Yeah, That should be stated once very, very clearly. Yeah. I think even if you're failing all your indie hacker projects, you've actually learned a lot of the a lot with them and what's more important is that your relationship your relationship doesn't fail yeah so if you have that choice at any point when doing indie hacking vc funding whatever you're doing for a business i don't think that it's ever worth that the money or the fame mm -hmm. some people might go for fame instead is ever worth having a relationship that is this great yeah. right Well, oh, for sure. Like there, and you you kind of said it. Like failing an indie business, particularly if you're somebody who's building in public, who's sharing your journey, that itself is still something positive for your whole yeah. journey as a as a as a founder, as an entrepreneur, right? Like there's there's something transcendental about your journey as a person that doesn't really care about the success of any given business, but a, a person with a partnership with a with a an actual relationship with a person that is also aligned at like a forever relationship right you want to be with that person for a very long time that makes it so much more important than the the little small bet like that's what yeah. Daniel Vassallo again he treats treat your ideas like cattle that's his thing and i mm -hmm. i guess if you're if you're more of the, the vegan persuasion you might not like that <laughs> either but the idea is like treat them like like objects not like people because people mm -hmm. are people and ideas are just things things you can start and stop a relationship you want to keep right you want to maintain so the relationship becomes much more important both like romantic relationships or parental relationships or relationships with your parents too right like you don't want to alienate your whole family just because you're kind of shit posting on twitter effectively or something mm -hmm. that, that is it's not worth it right you you these people are there for you uh, a community and an audience might not so there's there's just something to be said to be said about that i think failure can be something really useful for for your journey to learn from obviously but also to communicate that you are fallible that you are a normal human being it allows people to empath empathize with you and to build build actual honest honesty based trust based relationships but you should never risk the actual very meaningful partnerships that you're in for sure yeah yeah 100%. And one thing, because you just said it, one thing you can also do, share your failures and your succeeds, yes. your succeeds, your successes with the people around you and also with your family, even though they might not be invested in your journey, in your career journey, so to say. My family knows that I'm interviewing you today. So <laughs> I just, I, I was very excited about it and I shared it. And I think sharing this and getting it out of your own system and getting mm -hmm. some feedback from outside and also getting feedback on your failings right you can talk about yeah. your failings on yeah, twitter sure. you can and you can see what other people failed with and making this like getting getting it outside your system i think is what i wanted to say mm -hmm. is very very healthy also yes. for your mental health if we're going yeah. back into our actually top actual topic yeah. um yeah, sure. because if you just sit there and think about your failure you might make it bigger than it actually is Yeah. While you could just provide very valuable stuff and content for people around you that 
are dealing with the same pressure and the same problems. I, I like how you just phrased this. You make it bigger than it actually is for you. And if you share it, if you communicate it with other people, you, you make it smaller and not just for yourself. Yeah. You make it also smaller for them. Like if they feel the same thing, that you talking about it reduces the anxiety around the topic for them. That's super powerful, right? Yes. You can you can talk about your I, and I talked a lot about my burnout and that kind of stuff. I had a lot of people write to me telling me, "Okay, I'm no, I'm not alone. I know that there's a way out of there. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you also for sharing the steps that I that I personally took to get out of there. I will work on this now." Like I may just by talking about my own experience made other people's experience less painful. That is an incredible power to have. And if you if you can do that, even just with one or two people, you're already doing a lot of good in the world by sharing your own experience. So 100%. Like, it reduces your own anxiety because it just puts it out there. And the thing is, if nobody reacts to it, like if people see it and they say, yeah, sure, that's also a good sign. Because then, yeah, sure, okay, that's just how it is. Okay, now and now we go on from here, right? That's how yeah. it works. You just make make progress and, and dealing with it and overcoming it and, and preventing it to, from happening another time in the future. So yeah, sharing, very important. Building in public, that's what that is. It's the ups and the downs, right? You exactly, share your yeah. success, all the MRRs that go up, and then you share your failure, the things where that didn't work, the experiments that fizzled out, the decisions that you made that were really bad, and the consequences of that. Like, It's nice to have a story that is not just, and I did this successfully, and did this successfully. Like, like if you any kind of, if you, if you go to a job, you apply for a job, you have your resume, and all of them are just successes. Like, yeah. How realistic is this? Nobody believes that that is your full lived experience, right? They know it's just a cherry picked stuff. Building in public is the opposite. It shows everything so that people can relate to you as a human being with all the ups and downs, all the failures and the successes at the same time. So yeah. And I, and I also think that those are the bigger learnings than yeah, successes. Sure. I mean, yeah. success is a pretty big learning. Right? You, cannot, also, you yeah. should not forget <laughs> that it's really cool to succeed. And, and, yeah. and, and all this talk about sharing failures and stuff, we should also really just mention that it is fine to also be proud of your success, right? Yes, you don't 100%. have to just talk about the bad stuff. But the learnings coming from a failure, I think they're more helpful. Like, mm -hmm. if you know what to prevent or what not to do next time, I think it's better than thinking that, oh, if I do this exact same thing again, I'm going to be successful again, because that's likely not going to happen, right? So it's more actionable mm. to have something that didn't work that you can tell people about than something that did work because, you know, the survivorship bias and stuff is pretty strong in, in most things. Also my stories in a way, but I, I try yeah. to try to not just talk about the successful stuff, which is what we talked about now for an hour and a half. I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy that we got to to chat about this, this topic so extensively today. Usually it's just a side note, but this was really a, a pretty strong case for talking about mental health. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to do this. Yeah, and also I, talking to you, I thought maybe I should talk about this more on on Twitter again. Mm -hmm. I, I did for some for some time. I made a little little small pro project, a Notion template, uh, which looked at mental health for teams. Um, but I kind of dropped that, and I think I should do that more again. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Like any anything you can put out there to help people with this. Well, and that's a great opportunity because you can talk about what goes into the template. You can talk about the template. You can talk about why the template exists yeah. and then see people actually use it. I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's still a product that's still on Gumroad. That's one of the very passive ones that I don't mm -hmm. really put much effort into. <laughs> well, in the um, hacking, right? We try everything. So Exactly. Something has to something has to stick at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
We have two finishing questions usually for the guests. I'm very excited what you will say because I feel like you will not say AI for the first question <laughs> because I don't see you there right now. Not you're, you're, you're interacting with it. You also had some content with it. But I'm going to post the first question and see what you answer. Mm -hmm. What are you excited about right now that can be either technology, work-related or not? <laughs> Funny. I, I, AI is the thing that comes to mind immediately. Like... I For love most people, yeah. th the potential of AI as a force to help me do the things that I want to do by myself. That Not sure if that is a clear expression. <laughs> as a writer, that's my example, right? I write a lot. And I love what AI can do for me as a research assistant. I hate what AI does as a writer. Mm -hmm. AI is horrible at writing. Like the yeah. things that come out of ChatGPT, no matter how convincing they are, they are horrible writing. They're just not good. But if I ask ChatGPT a question, and I asked it to give me five different opinions on a topic, it will give me five wildly different opinions, two of which I will never have thought about before. That is powerful. <laughs> like the potential to, to speed up research, reflection, idea generation, all these things, that is what this technology does extremely well for me. And that's, that's what I'm excited for, to see this more integrated into the workflow of creatives. Because mm -hmm. it's just like having a person, a pretty, it's a super smart and super dumb person at the same time. It's really, <laughs> really funny. But if you know how to ask it questions where it's smart, you get great results. If you ask it anything else, you get the world's most dangerous answers too, right? Because it's wrong on occasion, most of the time. I, co I consider ChatGPT to be the world's most effective gaslighting engine. Like it just tries to gaslight oh, yeah. you into believing that it's that it's right, which is mostly not. But if you use it not for fact, but for contemplation, for for thoughts, for ideas, it's spectacular. So that's what I'm excited right now to see it more integrated. And what I really want to see it more integrated in is the the devices that we use on the edge, like my phone. I want it to be mm -hmm. on my phone, not on the internet. I want it to be on my phone. That's where I want it to be. And to have something like this. Follow me around. It's, it's, the, the phone itself is already a spectacular piece of technology. The fact that we can access everything, like literally everything from the, the palm of our hands, if, if it's charged with USB-C, you know, like if, if, it, if it is there, we can have it. And to have an AI system, a thinking thing, something that is almost like a human that is thinking, present with us without needing to be connected to anything, that is the, the future that I'm looking forward to. You know, like all these sci-fi movies where they, they have these little smart mm -hmm. drones flying around them and stuff. That's where we are. Like, we have this. It just doesn't look yeah. like that. It looks like ChatGPT. Yeah, we only have the, the internet connection left yeah. that, that needs to be removed pretty much. Yeah, not, not for long. Like, these things are so powerful. And the devices that we have, they are also very powerful. The chips that are embedded in these things, the neural chip or whatever, the A18 chip that Apple has been putting in there, super yeah. powerful machine learning stuff that happens on there already. And the device itself has a lot of storage capacity. So, hey, the embeddings, they'll fit in there too at one point. That's <laughs> going to be massive. It's good. That is like the fact that somebody has, will have a device that can tell you answers to everything without you needing to be connected to a global network even, although you probably want to be for it to be accurate and stuff, but mm. still that you have somebody or something, it's not a person, like, uh, th that is a very interesting future. And I still think that we're very, very far in the beginnings. Um, sure. Like we, that, we can't think about what will happen in 10 or 20 years with this. No, that's that's for science fiction authors to figure out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last question, which is a very big ask for you, and I recommend everyone that they check out Arvid's uh, YouTube channel or their podcast because there's so much information. <laughs> but the question is, 
what's one lesson or advice you would give someone starting the indie hacker career? We talked about it a couple times. Start with a side project. I think that's the most actionable one. Don't don't quit your job and go into indie hacking and take it super yeah. seriously. We talked about this, right? <laughs> like start side projects if you can. Like if you if you have the capacity to run multiple little things. And, and sorry, now, now I'm just adding advice. I know it's it's not the one thing, but use the technology no you know for these things. Like use the if you're mm -hmm. a software developer and you build like I don't know Python apps or whatever, use Python to build your little thing. Even though it may not be the perfect choice for your side project, use the thing you already know. Feedback Panda happened because I used the exact same tech stack that I was using in my full-time job, which was Elixir Phoenix at that point. It was just a functional uh, Erlang-style based programming language that I was using at work. I used it for Feedback Panda. It was perfect. It allowed me to, to bootstrap the project like in two weeks. I had a prototype running that Danielle could already use. And I... It made selling it a bit harder because like nobody is an <laughs> Elixir developer, but the company that acquired us, they hired their first Elixir developer. And then they acquired more Elixir projects because they now had an Elixir developer, right? Mm -hmm. They brought something to them as well. Use the tech, you know, build small side projects while you're in the safe, rather safe haven of a, of a full-time job and go from there. T make it fun, right? Don't take it too seriously. Build little things that you think could work and, and figure out how you can help people with them. And then over time, you'll learn what you need to learn to build these things into something bigger. You will not build your big business on the first attempt. It's very unlikely. And if you, if you stop working in a full-time job to make it happen, that pressure is going to crush you. So yeah. side project, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's pretty much the same thing that Peter Levels also did, which uh, we which he illustrated in his Twitter in yeah. his tweet with the seventy projects of yes. which four have made money or, th or something. Yeah. So just start out. And one thing that I wanted to add again was try to have fun with it, because if you don't have fun with it, it will just become another job, and yeah. it might be another job at some point. But yeah. please don't make it in the beginning like your number one focus to make profit. Try yeah. to at least have a little fun with it as well. That's right. Yeah, you, you can make it hard later. <laughs> Should be yeah. enjoyable in the beginning, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Okay, Arvid, that was our last question. Oh, thank I'm you. very, very grateful to have you. Thank you for taking so much time. And it was an awesome conversation. I hope someone can benefit from this and from hearing that pretty much everyone in this space has some kind of problem with mental, <laughs> right. with mental state or stress. Yeah, and right. uh, it's just normal and it's something we just have to talk about and yeah, maybe discuss with each other more. Yeah. 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 If, if there's anything that you walk away with, dear listener, just be open about this and, and understand that everybody else has these issues too. And they are probably are willing to talk about them. Like one of the things, like I, I mentioned the Denver conference earlier, I, I went on stage, I talked a little bit about my issues and then I told people, hey, you're sitting at round tables with like five people, people on each table. You can now talk to each other about your issues. And I wasn't off stage, the room exploded in conversation. Everybody awesome. had a story. Everybody had something to share. And I know that if you listen to this, you probably have something too. And other people are willing to talk about this. So please do share it. Do talk about it with people that are in the same predicament. And it will be easier for both of you, right? By sharing it, you make it. What do we say? Getitis light is halbes light. Like shared yeah, exactly. suffering is half <laughs> suffering. That is, that is what it is, right? Yeah, that's 100% that, true. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really, really grateful that I could talk about this topic. Thank you so much, Arvid. And Pleasure. have a nice day. You too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And that's our episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. 
You can find Arvid on Twitter with the username Arvid Karl. That's A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You can find links to all of his products right there in his bio as well. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. We're always happy to hear feedback. If you're building an indie hacker business yourself and want to be part of the show, we're also really happy to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter with the username Icebelabs, that's I-C-E-B-E-A-R-L-A-B-S, or send me a mail to tobias at icebelabs.com. And you can also now find this podcast on Twitter with the handle at CodeConquerPod. We also have a website you can check out. We're posting articles about the biggest learnings of each episode there as well. Go to codeandconquer.fm to find out more about that. Till next time.